0: The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, good morning, Grove Church. So happy that you're here today. My name is Andrew, and I'm thrilled that you're checking out Grove Church Nahomish. If you are a guest with us here today, we would love for you to take some time. Um, as you came through the doors today, there was a Connect card inside that card, or basically it's kind of a perforated card. You can just fill out the bottom, tear it off, drop it into the offering at the end of service today. It's just our way of saying uh, thank you for being here. We have a guest for you out in the, lo- out in the uh, lobby where you can grab a gift and uh, check out all that's Happening out there. What I want to do today, as before we jump into the message, we're on a series right now called "What's Your Deal." It's on the Book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to the Book of Colossians. It's towards uh, the end of the New Testament, um, kind of one of Paul's letters, towards the very end of the New Testament. We're going to be in the Book of Colossians in Chapter One today. What I want to do, just for a few minutes, is talk a little bit about vision and the vision of the Grove Church Nahomish, because I really it's I I believe it's important for all of us to understand sort of who we are, where we're going. and what God's doing um, in our church. First of all, our vision is very simple. It's just love God, connect with each other, serve all. This is the vision of the Grove Church. Love God, connect with each other, and serve all. Everyone say love God. God. Come on, say love God. God. Connect with with each other. And serve all. Okay, awesome. So this is our, our vision for our church. And so what we desire as a church is that when someone first comes through the doors of this incredible space, we want them to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can I hear an amen? Right, That's the most important thing to us as Christ followers, that we love Jesus with all that we have. The second thing is we want people to connect, connect with each other. There's power in connection. Here's what we know. We know that people will come to church for a particular time period, but unless they actually get connected to someone and begin to build relationship with someone, they may end up leaving the church because they didn't get connected. So we believe powerfully in connection. Part of the reason why we did the plaid party, which was actually last Sunday, not today, right? The plaid party uh, was just a huge opportunity for connection, right? A lot of us dressing in plaid at the farm and so many fun connections took place at that party. Just an opportunity for us as a church to connect. The last one is we want people to serve all. We want to see people take steps into serving both internally within the church, but also externally. We've been talking for a few weeks now, and you saw in the video, about fight hunger. One of the things that we do as a church every single fall is commit to fighting hunger and helping Uh, give food to the local food bank. Here in Snohomish, we're partnering with the Snohomish Food Bank. And so one of the ways that you can serve all, very simple, today in the lobby, you grab some bags, you put in some information on it, put it at someone's door, and they fill it up with non-perishable food items. So that's one way for people to serve all. Another way for people to serve all is obviously within our church, right? We're a set-up and tear-down church. You may have came and did not know that, but this is all gonna get torn down in about an hour and a half or so because we're a mobile church. We set up and tear down every single week. So we have unique opportunities for people to jump into serving. So that's our vision, love, connect, serve. Our vision is also our process. And I wanna explain this for a minute. When we when we look to individuals that are a part of our church and look to people who are coming to the Grove, we look at the process that they're on in their faith with Christ. And so for some, today, a love God step for you could be to download a Bible app, right? The most famous one, over a million downloads, is the YouVersion app, okay? Great Bible reading app where you can go on there and read the Bible every single day. For some of you, a love God step may be like I challenged all of us last week to commit to reading the book of Colossians. So maybe for you, that step could be begin to take in the word of God daily and commit to reading Colossians only four short chapters over the next seven days. For, for some, it may be a connect step. It may be, it may have been coming to the plaid party and connecting. It may be coming to a vision night and connecting or come January when we launch life groups throughout our whole church, in homes, throughout all of our communities. It may be jumping into a life group where you can begin to be in a home of eight to 12 people connecting and building relationship with one another. For some, it's a serve-all step, right? Maybe it's taking bags today and serving the community that you're a part of and reaching out to the food bank, or it may be something internal. Serve-all, helping make this church function and happen and do what God's called us to do to fulfill the Great Commission here at the Grove Church. For some, the step may be for you to jump into serving in Grove Kids. Our Grove Kids is an incredible program for children. Number one, it's not babysitting. Number two, we're teaching them about Jesus. And my three-year-old, Lydia, has already memorized her scripture from two weeks ago. And she tells it to me over and over and over throughout our home. And the memory verse, because we go over it so much, is in her little voice. She goes like this. God is with me wherever I go. Joshua 1.9, right? So it's awesome to have her memorizing scripture. And so for some, a serve all step may be to jump into serving and being a part of what God's doing here at Grove Church, Snohomish. With that, I want to, I want to launch and explain with a simple video in a minute here, the platform that our church is going to be using to get people involved in serving here at our church. Um, we're calling it Find Your Team. And what's cool for them, some of us who love technology, this is a cool opportunity for you to, to learn about this. It's basically just grovesnohomish.info. This is going to be a platform for our church moving forward to get signed up for anything. Let's say you want to get water baptized. You're going to go to grovesnohomish.info. Let's say you want to download our Bible reading plan. You're going to go to grovesnohomish.info. Let's say you want to jump into serving and find a team. You're going to go to grovesnohomish.info. And I'm such a visual person that I just made a simple video for you. It's nothing fancy that just shows you how grovesnohomish.info works. The lights don't need to come down. It's up on the screen. I'm going to show this to you here real quick. Check it out. There's no music. So just so you know. and you're done, okay? It's that simple. Now for me, maybe like, wow, that was so lame, okay? I could have found it myself. For some of you, you're like, thank you so much for showing me that. That made so much sense, okay? So I'm trying to hit every person in the room. And if you just like the paper and the pen, there's a surf card on the guest table. You can go there and do the paper and pen route, and that's totally fine. So my encouragement to you today as we jump into the message here when it comes to vision is, I don't know what step it is that you need to take here at Grove Church Snohomish, but I believe every one of us need to take a step. Could be, like I said, to download a Bible reading plan, could be to jump into serving, could be to jump into connection, but I believe God's calling each of us to jump in some type of step here at our church. Let's look to Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 1 and verse 3, picking it up. Last week we kind of laid the foundation for this series, Paul's in prison, writing, and let's pick up what he's going to teach us today in verse 3. This is Colossians 1, 3. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he's helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn God better and better. Verse 11 of chapter 1. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer for God's word today? Lord, we thank you again for the book of Colossians, for this opportunity to learn from the apostle Paul, by far, God, the most prominent person other than Christ to make an impact for Christianity. We stand here today, we sit here today because of his missionary journeys, his passion to plant churches, his willingness to do anything he could to tell others about Jesus. And we thank you, God, that we get to hear from him today. In Jesus' name, amen. By the raise of hands, how many of you have just ever felt pressure before? Go and just raise your hand. You felt some type of pressure, right? Yeah, we've all felt some type of pressure in our lives, work pressure, school pressure, life pressure. Well, the filter that I want you to always be looking at when we're opening the book of Colossians is you have to remember that Paul is under a great amount of pressure. Okay, he's in prison. Okay, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but he's in prison, first century prison, not prison like we know today. Prison back then was horrid conditions, barely any light of the day, basically basically solitary confinement for most of the day with little bread or water or any type of substance. So he's under a lot of pressure. Keep in mind that over his course of following Christ and trying to tell others about him, we read this last week, he's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, he's been stranded, he's been bit by a snake, he's been through a lot, he's tired, he's weary, he's exhausted, and he's under a lot of pressure as he's writing the letter, To Colossians. So we have to keep that in mind when we're reading this book. Jumping right in verses one, three through five, he says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first Heard the truth of the good news. In this passage here, Paul brings up these three Christian virtues faith, love, and hope. He brings up these three important Christian virtues, and he's written these. A lot. In Romans 5, 1-5, he mentions faith, love, and hope. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he mentions faith, hope, and love. In Galatians 5, 5-6, he mentions faith, hope, and love. In Ephesians 4, 2-5, he mentions the virtues, faith, hope, and love. Why? Why are they so important? Well, faith, it is impossible to believe Jesus without faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we know how powerful faith is. It takes faith to believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose again. It takes faith to believe that there's a God in this universe that knows every hair on your head and has created you in your inmost being, in your mother's womb, and has knitted you together in that way. It takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to trust in God with our lives, even when there's times of doubt and uncertainty and times of weakness, it takes faith. Paul also talks about love. He says, the love you have for all the saints. The Colossi church was known for the love that they had for one another. There was an affection they had for each other. There was this sense of unity and connection and vibrancy. And Paul knows that the church is only going to exist, his churches are only going to exist when there's love for one another. Totally totally practical applies to us directly today, Right? See, God's church is not a building. God's church is not a location. God's church is a people. You and me are his church. And it's a great its a great reminder for us when we think of love that God's church should be people full of love for one another. God's church doesn't have room for jealousy or comparison or envy. There's no room for divisiveness or people not getting along. God's church should be built on love for one another. Love breaks down division. Love brings unity. And lastly, Paul talks about hope in this passage. He says, faith and love are based on hope, which is the thing hoped for. Christians can anticipate with confidence because it is laid up for you in heaven. No earthly ruler or demonic power can rob believers of the reality of this hope. See, the Bible teaches in another passage of scripture that we grieve, but we don't grieve as the world grieves because the world grieves without hope and we grieve with hope. What is Paul alluding to here? Paul is alluding to you and I recognizing that our hope is actually not here in this life, but in the life to come. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I've done so many different memorials, funerals, doing another one this coming Friday for a family. Lots of people I've done this for. And if you have any experience with this, you'll know exactly what I mean by this. Have you ever been to a memorial or a service for somebody who is a believer? Go ahead and raise your hand. Absolutely, okay. Have you ever been to a service or a memorial where somebody was not a believer? Go ahead and just raise your hand. Okay, you and I know there's a huge difference. When you go to a service for someone who's a Christ follower, someone who lived a godly life, did all that they could to even live out these virtues of faith, hope, and love, we don't even call it a memorial, do we? We call it a celebration of life. It's a party, right? I mean, people are excited. They're happy to see each other. There's tons of food. There's excitement. People come up and share about the witness of that person's life and what they did for Christ and how they loved their family and the example that they were. And there's joy. Yeah, I mean, there's there's grief. There's sorrow. There's, there's obviously mourning, but it's different, isn't it? You walk away from it going, man, I want to be more like that person. Man, I want to live more like that person, how they honored Christ. You take the opposite, right? You go to a service for someone who's not a believer. Maybe the entire family is you know, non-religious, non-Christian. They don't have any experience with Christ. They don't have the hope that we profess as Christ followers. And man, those are rough services. And I've done them, hundreds of them. Those are hard. Those are difficult. Paul is saying to you and I, when it comes to hope, faith, and love being built on this, that we are aliens in this world. That this is a temporary home, right? James says we're just a little bit of a mist that appears for a little while and gone, and that our eternal residence, where we're going, is with Christ in heaven for all eternity. Now, that's a different message for another day, but this is the hope that he's talking about. He goes on in Colossians 1, 6 through 6-7, it says, This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Last week, and you can listen to this podcast, we talked all about Epaphras, we talked all about Epaphras multiplication, and the raising up of leaders. And Epaphras is the pastor of the church at Colossae. Paul never visited the church. He was a church planter and he raised up leaders and sent them out. So I'm not gonna go into that anymore today. I wanna focus in on what he's saying in verse six here. He says, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world, It is bearing much fruit. When Paul wrote this, it has now been roughly 30 years Since Christ's death and resurrection and Pentecost, when Paul wrote this. And the gospel of Christ has indeed spread from Jerusalem into Syria, Asia Minor, Greece, Italy, likely Egypt, North Africa, and Persia. So the gospel is beginning to spread as Paul is writing these letters, and it's spreading all over different parts of Europe. The cool thing about today is that it continues today, doesn't it? According to Pew Research, I want you to hear this here, done in 2015, of the 7.3 billion people on planet Earth, Christianity consists of 2.3 billion people around the world who pledge their allegiance to King Jesus. And Christianity is growing rapidly around the world. Take China as example. Professor Yang, a leading expert on religion in China from Purdue University, believes the number of Christ followers will swell to around 160 million by 2025. That would likely put China ahead even of the United States, which has around 159 million Protestants in 2010, but whose congregation are in decline. By 2030, China's total Christian population, including Catholics, would exceed 247 million, placing it above Mexico, Brazil, and the United States as the largest Christian congregation in the world. It's exploding in China at unbelievable numbers. There's a house church movement in a communist country where people can be persecuted and killed for their faith, and it's growing in incredible fashion. It begs the questions for us as Americans, why not in the United States? Why is the church on decline in the United States? Why not in the Pacific Northwest? Here's the bleakness of the current American church. On average, this is 2018, four to five churches in America are closing their doors and wrapping up shop. Church attendance is on the decline in America with the rise of the nuns with religious affiliation, basically a group that has no religious affiliation. A new study came out recently that the average family attends church only once to twice a month due to the busyness of their family in 2018. Now, as you look at the state of the American church, there's all these reports out there, and all my homework I did this week, where everybody's negative, the church is on a decline, churches are closing their doors, Christianity is losing its power, we're no longer a Christian nation anymore, and you hear all of this stuff, and you hear it all around different news media, and you can catch so many articles and studies on this. As I got into more research and began to really study this, I found this incredible article, this guy by the name of Tom Rayner. he's the CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources. He studied thousands of churches for over 25 years. And he studies specifically churches in decline. So he's been, he's got 25 years of experience studying all these churches, trying to figure out in America why the church is on decline. And this is what he found. I'm just going to quote exactly what he said with the state of the American church. Keep in mind, Paul is saying that the gospel is spreading all around the world and that lives are being changed. That's the filter I'm thinking through on this. He said, here's what he said. Stated simply, The most common factor in declining churches is an inward focus. And here's the warning symptoms. Number one, there are few attempts to minister to those in the community. Number two, church business meetings become arguments over preferences and desires. Number three, numbers of members in the congregation are openly critical of the pastor, other church staff, and lay leaders in the church. How's everybody doing? You guys like me yet? How you guys doing? Awesome. Awesome. Any change necessary to become a Great Commission church is met with anger and resistance. Number five, the past becomes the hero. Number six, culture is seen as an enemy instead of an opportunity for believers to become salt and light. Number seven, pastors and other leaders in the church become discouraged and withdraw from effective leadership. Lastly, if the churches are a part of a denomination or similar affiliation, meetings of those denominations mirror the churches in lost focus and divisiveness. These are the warning symptoms of why churches are closing their doors in America. However, Paul's reminding us today that there is hope, that Jesus is our hope, and I personally believe this is the greatest time to be a Christ follower in our world today. I totally 100% believe that, and I'll get really passionate about that at the end of this message, but I'll keep going for the sake of time. Colossians 1, 9 through 10, he says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Paul has a passion to pray for this church, even under pressure. He continues to offer these sentences as, I'm praying for you, I'm thinking of you, I want you to bear much fruit, I'm under intense pressure, but I'm wanting you to pray. I'm wanting you to know that I'm praying for you. And he's praying for them to have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Again, if we go back to why he wrote this, he's combating false teaching. He's combating different beliefs coming into the church and trying to get people off track from truth. And he's trying to get them to understand that there's not a power greater than Jesus's power. There's not a truth greater than the truth of God's word. And that you need to walk in this spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants them to walk in a manner pleasing to God. He goes on again, mentioning prayer in verse 11 through 13. He says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power. So you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. He's saying to them, be strengthened with this glorious power. This spiritual power was a key issue in the Greco-Roman world because they believed they could get power through asceticism. They believed they could get power through believing in certain rituals or ideals. And Jesus, through Paul, is saying the only power that is going to withstand the enemy and his schemes is the power of Jesus, this glorious power. I want you to have this power. I want you to walk in this power. As he begins to pray under this pressure, he's using language that was reserved only for the Jews. He's saying, hey listen, this inheritance that the Jews always had and thought they were the special ones have now been open to every person and you can experience this inheritance when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. He says we can live in this new covenant and be qualified as sons and daughters of Christ when we say yes to Jesus. I want to focus in on 13 here, because I think this is probably one of the most powerful portions of this text. He says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Paul is saying that when one says yes to Jesus, the gift of salvation when they come to a place of believing in his death, his resurrection, and the cross. When he, when someone crosses the line of salvation, what happens in their lives through the work of Christ on the cross as they were once now lost and now they are found. They were once broken, and now they are healed. They were once forgotten, and now they are remembered. They were once caught up in sin, caught up in bondage, caught up in decay, but now they've been set free through the work of Jesus on the cross. He's saying to them that something happens powerfully when we say yes to Jesus. We're transformed from living in the kingdom of darkness, and we move into the kingdom of light this is where I'm gonna get real loud and crazy here. I hear people say all the time, we live in such a dark state. We live in such a liberal state. We live in such an anti-God state. This state's going down with the hell and the hell basket. But let me remind all of us today of the power of Jesus and what he did on the cross. He redeemed our lives. He purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. He rose again and gave us life. And where it is dark, the light can shine. And all the brighter, there is no sin too great, no devil in hell too powerful that can set people free from the kingdom of darkness. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Because I'm tired of people saying, oh man, the Pacific Northwest, oh man, those liberals, oh man, they're so, their agenda, where sin abounds, grace all the bounds more. Where there is darkness, the light can shine even greater. And you know what it's going to take? It's going to take you and I being the light. That's what it's going to take. It will not take us hiding in our homes. It will not take us not engaging culture. It will take you and I, if we want to be a thriving, growing church, it will take you and I having the heart for lost people. Remember the research Thomas Rainer said, when people lost their heart for the Great Commission, when they thought it was more about them and what they wanted and less about lost people, the end of that church was near. I believe with all of my heart that the Pacific Northwest is the greatest place for God to do a move and his presence to live and to change hearts. You're not gonna convince me to go down the dumps on this state. You're not gonna convince me that somehow God is bigger and stronger in the Bible than he is in the Northwest. You're not gonna convince me. I believe God is doing something in you. God is doing something in me. And I believe we have yet to see a move of God in our lives if we would only pray and believe what He says in his word. He says he purchased our lives. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, and he's given us freedom and forgiveness, and that is something worth celebrating. Can I hear an amen? Amen. That's what it is. That's what it is. I believe with all my heart. People tell me all the time, oh man, our schools are so bleak. Oh, our community's so dark. Oh, if you were just there, oh, you just don't know. Oh, you're just naive. No, I'm not. I'm going to exercise faith. I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to believe not what my eyes see, but what my heavenly father says about me and his kingdom on this earth. I'm not naive. I trust and believe that God can move in and through our lives when we step out and engage our world with his love. Four takeaways today. Whew, that was the passionate part. All right, I'm coming down here. Four takeaways today for you. Why does this matter to us today, what we read here? Number one, if you're taking notes. Number one, grow in faith, love, and hope. For some in this room, and maybe, man, I need more faith like that. Or for some, you're like, you know what? I just don't like people. All right, grow in love. Or maybe for some, you're like, man, the world's so dark. I just wish Jesus would come back. Maybe you need to grow in some hope that until Christ come, he's called you to be the salt and light. But grow in one of these areas. Grow in faith, grow in hope, grow in love because Paul wrote about them often because he believed, obviously other Christian virtues are important, but he believed that for these three, they were the most important. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, if you wanna grow in the most, Paul mentions you know faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So if you're looking for one to like focus in on, Hey, man, I just need to love my family more. I need to love my spouse more. I need to love my coworker more. I need to love that neighbor of mine that hates God more. Because that's what God's calling me to do, and it's the greatest of these virtues. So number one, grow in these. Exercise these things. Work these things out in your heart. Number two, pray and expect pressure. Pray and expect pressure. Paul, Paul is writing from prison, remember? These are horrible conditions. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been lost at sea. He's been bit by a snake. He's been tortured. All right, right. He's been so much persecution has happened to him. He's in prison. He's under so much pressure. And what is he saying to you and I? Pray and expect pressure. I love what one pastor said. He said, I don't worry when I'm being persecuted. I worry when I'm not. And I love that. Because it's a reminder for me if I look at my own life. where is Where am I... You may be not getting along that well with somebody. Where where is my ideals and my theology combating someone in a way that maybe there's some persecution? Maybe they don't like me. Maybe they don't like what I have to say. But Paul's saying, expect pressure. Jesus even said, if they hated me, they will hate you all the more. Pray and expect it. If you're a student in this place and you're in school and you love Jesus and you're here, can I tell you right now, man, your school is the greatest ground for you to be salt and light. It's also the greatest ground for you to experience tremendous amount of pressure as a Christ follower. And yet Paul's saying, you know what, expect it. It's going to come. Not everyone's going to agree. Not everyone's going to like it. And that's why we pray. We pray to be built up in the faith because when we head to that school, as a student, as a teacher, as a person there, we know that not everyone's going to think or feel how we think. Pray and expect pressure. Number three here, there is hope for the American church. There's hope. There's hope for churches that are on the decline today. There are hope for churches that are thriving and growing to tremendous amount and doing huge things for God's kingdom. There is hope for the American church. You know what there's not hope for? Churches that are inward. Churches that are all about themselves. Churches that don't reach their community. Churches that begin to think that it's just about me and my seed and my parking spot and what I want. Churches that are that way are gonna continue to close because Jesus never called his church to be that way. He never called his people to be inward. He called his people to be outward. But I'm gonna land on the plane of being hopeful and excited about what God's doing. In our DNA series, a few months back, we said this code about our values. We said, we give up things we love for things we love even more. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Lastly, number four takeaway here for you. Be among and about lost people. Be among and about lost people. I can't stress this enough. A couple of examples in my own practical life right now my little daughter, I talked about her earlier, memorizing scripture. She's three years old. We signed her up for soccer at three years old, probably the worst idea on the planet because all she did was cry and run around the field the entire time, okay? Uh, and so I just handling all that drama, okay? So she'd run, cry, come back to me, run, cry, come back to me. But you know what was so cool about it? Just six weeks, Saturday mornings, joining this league wasn't that much money. You know what was so cool about it? As much as I just wanted her to win so bad and I would sit down with her at three years old and I'm like, we play to win. No, I, I didn't do that. That'd be awesome. But no, I, it's like she has no idea what winning is, you know? Um, but yeah, she just, she's so cute out there running around. But you know what's so cool for Amanda and I, if I'm just being perfectly honest today, it was the first time in a long time where Amanda and I were among and around lost people. Six weeks in a row on a Saturday morning, all these parents, all these families, and man, I don't know any of them. They don't know me as Pastor Andrew. You know, they don't know that I preach the word. I'm just some dad yelling at his kid, we play to win the game, you know? That's all they see me as, right? Can I just tell you right now, being among and around lost people for six Saturdays in in a row just broke my heart once again. Even one family, our coach, uh, he was sending emails out. And one of the times he sent an email about his wife having a surgery and needing me to cover the practice at the beginning. And man, I just had an opportunity in this email. Hey man, I'm so sorry to hear about your wife. I'm praying for her, man. If there's anything we can do for you and your family, just let us know. You know what he, you know what he responded back? He responded back, he said, I hate Christians. No, he didn't say that, he didn't say that. He responded back and he said, man, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your prayers. It just that, that's something that's that small. Just six Saturdays in a row with a a simple little team that small and yet God can give me a, a heart for lost people once again. That I'm called to be his light and salt and I'm called to be around and among lost people intentionally. I got a neighbor. They're not here today, but they're coming someday. Chad and Michelle, they live on the corner of our neighborhood. And man, I've been trying to get this guy to hang out with me, get coffee with me, come to church, ch- chat with me, anything, just anything, right? And he lives in my neighborhood, so I'm not going anywhere, right? And uh, the other day, I was driving by his house, and if you know this, Les Schwab and Everett just entirely burnt down, went up in flames. Well, he was a manager there, and that was like his livelihood. He was a like, big, big influence there and working there for a long time, and so I drove by his house kind of the next day. And he was outside of his house like, dude, man, this fire, and how you doing? And are you, everything going? He's like, yeah, we're going to, you know, rebuild. I don't I know what's going to happen. And, and then he's like, yeah, man, this, this is a crazy thing. I'm just glad nobody was hurt. I'm like, yeah, me too. And he said, he said, he's always blamed his schedule. Man, my schedule, I just can't get Sundays off. I can't make church a priority. My schedule, my schedule, man, my schedule. And I'm like, yeah, man, I understand. That's hard. And he said to me the other day, he said, dude, man, now that the whole fire thing happened, and, you know, my, my, I'm moving around in different parts of the company. He said, dude, now, now I get to write my own schedule. I was like, dude, that's that's awesome, man. He said, yeah, man, we, we got to get together. We got to talk more about that stuff. But, yeah, I get to get write my own schedule. I, I'm just going to take that to the bank. I'm just going to say that, man, Chad is going to write his own schedule. And his schedule is going to allow him and his family to dive into a community like this to begin to learn about Jesus, to begin to grow in his faith. And maybe he's got two sons. Maybe his sons will be church planners someday. Maybe right now he has no idea what a church planner is. But maybe his sons will give their life to Jesus in a service like this, and maybe they'll go reach a community and reach people. Why? Because I'm going to err on hope, my friends. I'm going to land on hope every time. You're never going to get me off of it. I'm going to see the good in people. I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt when there's little doubt. I'm going to do it because that's what God calls us to do. My my last example is uh, obviously we're trying to reach Snohomish, be a part of this community. I just joined the chamber of commerce in this city, which is just awesome. All these business leaders, all these people that are, you know, work construction and have companies and different things in the community. And I think one pastor, me, it's awesome. You know what? But every single month I get to sit around a table with a bunch of people that don't know Jesus and I just get to be salt and light to them. You know what's so awesome about being a pastor? If I don't do it, why should you? If I say it, but don't live it, why should you? So I just want to encourage you today as we close this message up and the worship team is coming up. We don't, we're not salt and light because the work and the effectiveness is on us. We're salt and light because the glorious power of his son, Jesus, is working through you and I. That's what it is. It's not on us. It's not on me to save my neighbor. It's not on me to save all those parents on the soccer team. It's not on me to make sure everyone says a sinner's prayer at a chamber meeting. No. But Christ, through me and the power of his son, we can do some good things. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you so much for your word today. God, I thank you right now in this place, Lord, that you are in the business of bringing people from darkness to light. And yes, God, right here in Snohomish, Washington, still one of the top five states that are unchurched. And yet right now here in Snohomish, Washington, you're drawing people to you. In Marysville, Washington, at Grove Marysville, you're drawing people to you. And Father, at churches all around this town, all around this city, all around Snohomish County, all around King County, God, all around this nation. You're drawing people to you. And we thank you, God, that your kingdom is advancing. And we thank you, God, that it's not on us. It's not on elegant words. It's not on fancy clothes. It's not on anything but the truth of Jesus and what he did on a cross. And so today, would you do it once again? If you're here today with every head bowed and every eyes closed, if you're here today, and you want to be transformed transform and transferred from darkness to light. You want to be saved. You want to believe in Jesus. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You want to put Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. And you want that fresh start. I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand in this place. If that's you here today, you want to say yes to Jesus. Anyone in here? One, thanks so much. Two, thanks so much. Anyone else with these two hands that raise their hand? With these two, Anyone else? If you're a Christ follower and you know this prayer, if you raise your hand, you're going to say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus. Come on, say, Jesus. I want that fresh start. I need that fresh start. I believe today you died on the cross for my sins. You rose again and you gave me life. I accept salvation today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. Can we celebrate with those two hands? Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.